All right, welcome everyone. Uh, we are here with the January podcast. For you, those of you who do not know me, I am Daryl Missy, the director of Children's Division. And uh, at the time of this recording, uh, we have in the room with us uh, Kate Watson, who's our foster care programs manager, uh, Danielle Corley, uh, our deputy uh, director, and Ashton Kiever our, of our comms team, who we are also calling our producer, executive uh communications guru. All right. And uh, we have uh, meeting with us today, Misty Allen, uh, our program specialist. We're also going to talk with uh, uh, Agent Root of the FBI. And so it should be pretty interesting. We're talking about uh, human trafficking because January is Human Trafficking uh, Prevention Month. Uh, and uh, Misty, you did some looking into what how we, how we established a a Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, in 2010, uh, President um, Obama declared January National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. And every year since then, each president has followed this tradition. Uh, the month is used to raise the awareness of human trafficking and to educate the public about how to identify and prevent the crime. So uh, what kind of things have we been doing uh, to do that? So for Children's Division, we're involved with, I know myself, I'm involved in some anti-trafficking collaboration nationally, and I'm also part of the Attorney General's um, anti-trafficking task force uh, to where we just work with individuals throughout the state with a task force on ways to help with human trafficking. And then the national um, anti-trafficking collaboration has been really informative of what each state's doing to try and help with this. Um, making everyone more aware, and that's uh, what Children's Division we're kind of focusing on right now with our workers, is to get them to be more educated on what human trafficking is um, and what things to look for. Hey, Misty, this is Kate. Why should our staff care about human trafficking? How does that impact work that we do at the Children's Division every day? Well, because a lot of our youth that we deal with daily, um, they're at a higher risk due to their vulnerability. Um, the uh, traffickers like to prey on that, and then they build trust with them and during the grooming process. And so our youth, a lot of times, are looking for that person that they can trust and depend on. So with that, we need to be a little bit more aware of what's going on. So a big issue, uh, Misty, in uh, our world since I've been here is the issue of the missing kids. Uh, and, you know, the legislature was involved in that. We get a daily report of, of what children are on the run. Uh, do you think there's a connection between those things? And, and uh, how should we respond to that if there is? Absolutely. A lot of our kids, we actually have protocol in place for our kids that um, have been on the run. And when we locate them, we have an assessment tool um, that we're currently using to assess um, for risk or even the victimization of being trafficked. Um, and so staff utilize that and then determine, you know, the next step to take for each um, child. It could be different for each one. It's not cookie cutter on the needs that they have. So we utilize that to make that determination. So um, can you talk a little bit more about that tool? Like what kinds of questions do you ask? How do you actually get to a determination with it? Well, it's, the tool is to be utilized in a form that is more conversational and not just asking the child direct questions. So some of the things that um, we would talk about is asking the child how their needs were met, why they were out, how did they get food, um, 
where did they sleep? How were they able to, to go to have a bed to sleep in? You know, what kinds of things did they have to offer um, to do that? Or um, sometimes drugs and with human trafficking, it's not just um, sexual either, it's labor. And so just talking to them about how they make money and those kinds of things while they're gone. And then that kind of guides us to where, um, if they've been trafficked or if they're at higher risk to being trafficked. So if, if, if these children have gone, uh, everything I've read says they're, they're the people who are more, more likely to go again. And that there are other, there are other things that help us, uh, you know, point, sort of pinpoint who might, who might leave. So what kind of things do you think that we can do to, to help those kids stick around and be safe? Well, I think educating our kids and being just a good support for them, but educating them on what human trafficking is and what it um, looks like to the grooming process, um, those kinds of things, and having those conversations. Um, and I think as an agency, we're moving towards being more open to our, with our kids and listening to them and what their wants and needs are. Um, so I think if we continue to do that, kids will be less likely to run. So do we have any idea, Misty, how, how frequently this happens in our agency among kids that we're dealing with? Uh, how many of our kids face this? Do we, do we know? Um, yes, not specifically just our children that we have in alternative care, but for us as a state, I have those numbers. Um, in physical year 22, from July 21 to June 2022, the hotline unit received 227 hotline reports, and there were alleged, um, there were 260 alleged human trafficking victims in those reports. Of those, we had 23 that were found substantiated with 24 victims. And so far this year, we already have 69 human trafficking reports reported with 84 alleged human trafficking victims. And we've had three substantiated with three victims so far. Wow. So what do we do for these? What do we do for these kids? What do we do for them? Well, we provide service there, services to them, link them to counseling, um, you know, for youth. And that's something that a lot of these task force are working on is there's not as many services for youth in human trafficking. So those are things that are being focused on um, for our kids and kids that we don't take into custody that do have the family supports because it's important to keep in mind Traffickers are not, they don't discriminate. It's not just one race, one um, social class or sex that they um, prey on. It's anyone. And so for everyone to be aware of it is really important. So by statute, uh, I am on the sex trafficking task force. Uh, I've never been on a task force before, so it makes me feel like I maybe should have some kind of uniform or something, but uh, as a member of the task force, uh, what should I go tell those other people that children's division, based on our experience at children's division, here's what that task force needs to know. What should, what should I be telling them? Um, from what I, from what I've gathered, um, and I'm just going off of from like, a lot of the, from my national task force group is including the victims in some of the decision-making. Um, sometimes they can 
can guide us. It's easy for us to assume what they're feeling or the things that they've gone through or what we think would make things easier, better for them. But to me, having that victim, a part of that, if they're willing to, could make a big difference. It brings up another question. I was at a meeting earlier today and people were talking about being concerned about re-traumatizing people by talking to them about the issue. I mean, what I'm hearing from you is, is that we, we really need to uh, talk to these kids about what they've been through so that we can figure out what they want to need, right? I mean, is, is that is that, you know, how you feel about things or what do you think? I would say if they are comfortable doing so, everyone deals with trauma differently. Um, there's some people that it helps them work through their trauma by talking about it. And some people, it takes a period of time before they talk about it. So it's not every survivor, and I'm sorry I utilized the word victim. I should have said survivor of human trafficking will handle things differently. And not all of them will want to talk about it, but there are some that will. And so I think we need to be willing to listen to them when they are. You know, that's funny that you bring that up, Daryl. Um, I'm going to throw a shameless plug out for the foster care uh, podcast um, that we're working on. As we're talking to the parents, they're talking about how um, the kids that come into their care actually want to share their stories. They want to be asked what they've gone through because it's part of their healing process to talk about, you know, what they've gone through and and the the things they've overcome in their lives. So, um, you know, I think it's, I think that's a really good point. Well, I just know from my experience on the bench that, that what my experience was is that kids want to be heard and they, they even want to be heard about the bad things. I think maybe, you know, we need to take the lead from, from what their counselors tell us, from what they're being advised by their counselor to do. We need to get all these kids to, to the therapy they need. And uh, and I, I think what, what I'm hearing from you, Misty, is follow their lead. I mean, respond to them in a way that they want this to be done and then take that information and use it to try to help both the, the, the child in front of us and, and children in the future that we have. I think that's I think that sounds like a good approach to me. Absolutely. Um, I did want to touch on something that I think um, falls under the radar a lot because people think of um, sex trafficking and human traffic of being these big bad strangers that come and do things, which it can be. But we also have familiar trafficking that people dismiss. Um, we have family members that do traffic their loved ones. Um, so it could be for to, you know, pay for rent or services or drugs or anything like and um, it's not just sexual abuse that it is a form of trafficking. And so just being more aware of that, too, as an agency. Well, it's interesting because it, the question is, what is what is trafficking? And we've had that we've had that conversation at the task force that it, it, it is not necessarily what you envision from TV. I mean, what you envision from TV is something from criminal minds, you know, where where somebody is getting thrown into the back of a van. And what, what this really is, is it's exploitation and manipulation a lot of times by relatives or, or uh, uh, you know, older, older, older uh, boyfriends or partners and all kinds of people who can be, uh, you know, doing this almost, almost out in the open and not in a way we would normally think of it. Absolutely. Are you seeing this happen to um, a certain age group? I know you said that they don't discriminate but like, is there an age group that is especially at risk? Um, a lot of times it's the 13 to 18 um, in the youth. But through the reports that I have reviewed, we've had kids as young as the age of 10. 
Anything else you think we need to know? Not that I can think of. Thank you guys for your time. Uh, we have with us uh, today uh, Agent Daniel Root from the FBI, which sounds awfully important. It sounds really, really cool. And uh, Agent Root, I'm just really uh, glad that you're with us today. He has, he has worked with our agency and he, and he works with the FBI dealing with issues of, of uh, sexual trafficking and, and uh, these concerns that involve our kids. And I'm just, we're just honored to have you, Agent. Glad that you're here. Why don't you, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and, and how it is you can be in the, in the Federal Bureau of Investigation? Well, certainly. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to come here. Uh, my name is Daniel Rood. I'm a special agent with the FBI St. Louis Division, and I work on the Child Exploitation and Human Trafficking Squad. Uh, that's a task force that involves uh, the FBI as well as numerous state and local partners. And I've been in this field office for almost seven years now. Um, before I was an FBI agent, I did a number of things. I was a high school Spanish teacher back in my hometown. Um, and I always had a, uh, an interest in child welfare and child protection. And through my professional development, I was able to get where I wanted to go, which was here in St. Louis, uh, working with the uh, population of children and uh, vulnerable populations that are particularly um, you know, susceptible to human trafficking and exploitation. Well, that's really cool. So how is it that a person's mind jumps from from teaching conjugation of Spanish verbs to 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 this? I mean, that's a that's a big leap. I mean, mentally and personally, how did that how did that happen? Well, I'm sure that some of the social workers uh, might be able to relate to the world of a teacher and a social worker and an FBI agent uh, all being around centered around people's well-being and having to fulfill many roles. Um, and as a teacher, you know, I was working with all sorts of different populations. Uh, and you did have to do a lot of reaching out to the social worker and making sure the kids were doing all right. Uh, it was always just an interest of mine. And um, I was a CASA as well. That was another thing that I did when I was a teacher, um, court-appointed special advocate. And it just seemed like the perfect opportunity to use all the different things that I enjoy, which would be foreign language, uh, dealing with vulnerable populations and helping other people was perfect for a career with the FBI. Well, that's very great. So if any of our folks out there are thinking about a career with the FBI, I want you to stop immediately uh, and just stay right where you are. Uh, actually, no, if you, if you talk to Agent Root, uh, if you've got interest in doing that, but that's really cool. And it's also my understanding, in addition to being a CASA, you, you also uh, became a foster parent eventually. When and, when and how did that happen? Well, when I was at CASA, I did that for me years uh, back in my hometown. When I became an agent, um, we couldn't be CASAs because it involves making recommendations to judges and there's some limitations about what we can and can't do. And so the next logical step for us, if we wanted to continue having that, um, that, that role, was to become foster parents. And so my wife and I talked about it and, uh, you know, we had a spare room in the house and we were at that point where we thought that it might be, um, you know, what we were supposed to be doing at the time, which would be uh, fostering. So we went through the process and uh, became foster parents. And uh, it's been a, a wild and fun journey, especially given uh, what I do for a living. So there's a lot of crossover there and there's a lot of uh, insights that I think I'm able to 
gather that maybe other other folks that only see one side of the coin aren't. So um, this is Ashton yeah. Kiever speaking. I just wanted to ask, did any of those end in, in adoption? Did you adopt it at all? No, we haven't adopted. So we typically will take kids that are returned to parent, whose goal is return to parent at the time. Um, we we're, we're, we're open to the idea. We just kind of felt right now that return to parent was what we were uh, kind of supposed to be doing. We have had very long-term ones, a year and a half, uh, you know, and some significant long-term ones. But uh, right now, no, we, we, we haven't had any adoptions. Well, thank you for doing it because you know what what you're describing what you're describing uh, to me, and I really appreciate is is just a, a life of openness and of service and uh, caring for others. And you know, when you do fostering right with with that perspective, you're you're not just doing it for that kid; you're doing it for their whole family and and the parents and everybody else. And so, you know, uh, I also appreciate your openness to it. As one of the former directors once said, you know, if you, if you do this long enough and your and your heart is open, adoption may just happen to you. you know, That's so, true. So it's, it's uh, you know, we just appreciate you and you appreciate you taking the time with us and appreciate all the work you've done with us and for us uh, with regard to uh, to child trafficking and the and the issues we have. So uh, what about your experiences in that do you think would be helpful for our folks to know as, as we do our work and try to try to help people along who might be facing these issues? Sure. I think that there's a, a lot of difficulty sometimes accessing the resources that you need to access. Uh, who are you supposed to call in certain scenarios? And if there's like one takeaway here, I, I just kind of want people to understand how the human trafficking task force works in eastern Missouri. Um, and I think that being able to do the proper reporting and make those proper connections is super important because reaching out to the right person has given me the opportunity in the future uh, to, to reach out about unrelated things that they might need or I might need. Um, so basically we have a number of FBI agents that work with our task force officers, which are from St. Louis County, city, um, other area law enforcement agencies. We all work together on human trafficking cases. Um, and so if there is a missing kid that has indicators of trafficking, a lot of times they will come to us either through physicians or through social workers and we will work together because there's certain things as a federal agent that that I can do and there's certain things as local peace officers that our task force officers are able to do. So I just want people to understand that reaching out to anybody that is aware of the trafficking task force in the Eastern District of Missouri um, will be able to get the resources that we need in order to properly address whatever case they have. So do we have a list of people that are on that task force that, that, that we can contact or is it just always contact agent root all the time, all hours of the day? I'm not sure that's I, I, I don't know if my, my, my phone is always uh, on, on the bedside table and it goes off at all hours. Um, I think the most logical thing would be if they work in DSS and children's division, take it up the chain because the folks that I've worked with over in children's division, um, we work very closely together. And so they would know the proper avenues to, to get in, in touch with us. Most of the, some of the local agencies might not be as aware. They might not get that many trafficking cases. They might try and work the case themselves. Um, they might try, you know, to get a hold of us. So I would always recommend just going up the chain internally in order to get a hold of us because 
they're also able to triage and get information that we're not privy to um, in order to kind of hand it off to us in the manner that's going to allow us the best way to uh, address that, that issue. Sure. So if you see the indicators of, of, of trafficking that they ought to be telling their supervisor to tell their supervisor so that we can touch base with people on the task force that are most equipped to handle this thing and to help us along. That's what I'm hearing from you. Essentially. And the standard methods of, of uh, communication are also there. The human trafficking national hotline um, that also gets blasted out to me and other local agencies. And we just kind of say, hey, I'll take this one. Um, and we're able to work together to deconflict those those reports. So if you report to the national hotline, we're going to get it anyway. So either through internal or reporting mechanisms or also national hotline. Well, very good. So what what are some of those indicators of trafficking? What what should what should be red lights that people see to say, whoa, wait a minute, we need to do something about this? What 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 do you think people should be looking for? The biggest thing that I've seen in the cases that I've worked are um, the unexplained income, unexplained gifts, uh, things that might seem out of place for that child. Uh, if they have a brand new iPhone that they weren't able to afford before, we get some of those reporting from schools that kind of see these, these indicators. For us, I mean, one of the biggest indicators is just a vulnerability in general. Um, your, your frequent runaways, I know that it can get uh, tire, tiring to go back and forth again and again with the recovery of these children, but that vulnerability is such a huge risk factor. Even though they've they've gone of their own accord, they're still vulnerable at that at that point. That's a huge indicator for us. Um, if they're if they're engaged in, in risky behaviors that are going to end up with them potentially in a trafficking situation. Uh, so that, as, in addition to it, there's a lot of medical signs too that we that we see if they have repeated visits to doctors with STI panels going on again and again. Um, those are the kind of indicators that would be the most salient in in my experience. Okay, so if we see these things and we uh, and we report them and we get and we get the task force involved, what does success look like? I mean, if we've done that and we uh, when do, can we feel like we've we've uh, we've we've done something right and allowed you to come in and save the day? What what does success look like? Well, asking to define success, I think, in both your world and mine, uh, is, is a very difficult thing to say. Uh, for us, at the very least, right? So we're a law enforcement agency. So, you know, we always go into it with the mind of trying to prosecute uh, the perpetrator of the crime. I would call it a success if we get that child back into a safe location um, and into a place where they're going, where their needs are going to be met without engaging in any sort of risky behaviors. For us, we've recovered many children that don't end in a prosecution. Human trafficking cases are, are very, very difficult to work because. The survivors of trafficking will sometimes have difficulty coming back and talking to law enforcement or any of the processes that would result in a successful prosecution. Um, so for me, in order to get that kid back in pocket and know that they are in a place where they're going to be safe and their needs are met, that's what I think of as success. So in your experience, those safe placements, are they are they typically the same placement they came out of with more with more uh, sort of safety measures in place, or, or, or are they different placements, or is there a little bit of both of those things? What's your experience on that? I would say a little bit of both. I, surprisingly, maybe to some, don't have that much experience in what would happen after the placement. Um, we have repeat, right, that we've gone out and we've recovered the same child a number of times. Um, but in my world, if we recover the kid and they don't 
go and run status again, I don't really know the outcome. So that's that's a very good question. Well, and if you if you don't see him again, uh, I, I was talking with a judge friend who you know is dealing with a program he's doing. It's like if I don't see him again, I feel successful about it, right? Because I they didn't. Yes. They're not a repeat customer. So what do you think are the biggest factors that are make somebody a risk of being a repeat customer? Where you've seen them come back and uh, so that we can have an idea of what, what we might avoid. So Pete, the repeat customers, that's a tough one. And that's another one where actually our, our federal nature is super helpful. Uh, the ones that do frequently run, we will find in different jurisdictions. And so the biggest thing that I see that helps is having collaborative multidisciplinary approach to where the social workers are aware of what's going on, law enforcement's aware of what's going on, um, and whatever placement they're at is aware of the specific risk, risk factors and what they can do to mitigate that. So I think the, the more complex ones that I've seen are where a piece of the puzzle is missing. Um, and, you know, law enforcement might recover a kid and not provide information that could be helpful to the social worker about that specific child's need. Uh, because they're very complex, these recoveries. Uh, frequently, we'll, we'll recover a kid from St. Louis in Detroit or in Memphis. Um, and, you know, we're worried about getting that kid back and not all that information of the, the officer or the social worker that made first contact with that child gets reported back. So in my experience, probably documenting as well as you can stuff that the kids say, things that you think might be helpful to them is, is very important in making sure that they are in a safe place at the end of the day. So you, you talked about prosecuting the bad guys and I'm, I'm an old judge. And so I kind of enjoy the idea of prosecuting the bad guys. You know, I'm kind of a, I'm, people see me, I think, oh, it's kind of a warm, fuzzy, uh, you know, uh, help the family kind of guy, which I am. Uh, but I'm also one of these people when somebody's intentionally uh, done something uh, bad to a child, I, I'd like for our policy to be woe to you if you do that in the state of Missouri. Woe to you because you're going to get it. So are there things that we can do to help you along as you try to get the bad guys? Is, I mean, are there certain things that good information that help with prosecution of people uh, who do this kind of awful thing? Absolutely. Yeah, there's things that help my job go easier whenever we're trying to get prosecution. Um, one of the big things nowadays is digital evidence, right? Most crimes nowadays have some sort of a digital or a virtual aspect to them. Communication is done via Facebook. Kids' phones, um, you know, have all these different apps that it's difficult to keep track of. So that digital evidence is important for us, especially if a victim is reluctant to discuss with law enforcement. We might be able to find communications or other things that will help us um, take down that trafficker through phones. And so we've actually had some very good success uh, with, you know, some judges have taken kids' phones if they think there might be evidence that would be helpful to getting a bad guy off the street and keeping it from happening to other kids. Um, so that's one of the one of the biggest things that that I found help in those prosecutions. Well, that's wonderful information because I know that where where the heart and mind of all our people are is that they, they want to want to try to prevent this kind of thing. And if, if stopping a person with with this child can prevent it with the next one, uh, I think we're going to be excited about that and and protecting this child going forward. So I think that's that's just great information. Foster parent, we're we're. Uh, Dealing with your foster child, what, what kind of things would you think a foster parent ought to know about, about this sort of thing? Some of the most important stuff for, for foster parents, in my opinion, the things that have helped me the most 
are just best practices. I know that's a very general thing for answer, but that trauma-informed care of children is just so important because whatever trauma they've experienced is going to be best suited by having that approach. Uh, we have a standing, you know, most of the kids that come into our home are going to probably need therapy. And so that sort of openness to um, getting other people involved in the care of the child, having that multidisciplinary team to make sure that there's wraparound care, and just being open with that child. One of the things that I think is important, not only with the students that I taught, but the kids that we have, is that we're always, you can come to us with anything, right? Whatever the problem is, there's nothing too big that we can't solve it. And that kind of trauma-informed care, I think, is, is the best approach for the, for the foster parents or for the placements um, that these kids are going to have. Another question I had was, um, so this is, you mentioned physicians, you mentioned um, you may be a teacher noticing a new iPhone. Is the place to start um, reporting it, like as a mandated reporter going through those channels? Um, or is there somewhere else they should be going if it's specific to trafficking? Yeah, I would report to the to the trafficking hotline in cases like that, you know, we all have to use our discretion at times from from social services to law enforcement to teachers. You know, a brand new iPhone might not necessarily on its own be something that would raise eyebrows. But if you know the kid well enough and you know that that they're talking about their new boyfriend and there's some things that are sending up red flags, you know, you don't you don't have to be 100 percent sure. I would report it to the trafficking hotline and we'll, we'll call you back and we'll, we'll discuss the situation with you. It might be we need some more information. We might need to make, uh, you know, a referral ourselves because as mandated reporters, it's going to be circular reporting. We want to make sure every single thing that comes into us, you guys are also aware of access. And I guess I just would love. I don't. I don't know if you can share any stories from the field um, with very few detail, but. It would be great to hear a success story from your perspective, something that sticks with you and makes you want to keep doing this job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those, those success stories are the ones that you kind of latch on to, um, that, to to keep you going during the times when you just are, are in the rut of the, the horrible things that are happening in the world. Um, you know, successful human trafficking prosecutions are very good, right? When, when you feel that you've brought a case to, to fruition and getting, you know, 10, 15 more years for somebody that has, um, so for instance, I had a case where somebody was actually out um, after serving time for a trafficking case um, who was being monitored by GPS and still while having an ankle bracelet on was trafficking, um, was trafficking a girl. And so in one of the specific case, you know, the, the kid had run away from home and was just sitting at a McDonald's. And any time that those kids are vulnerable, that's going to be a trafficker's dream is to find these kids that are vulnerable. And so um, going from start to finish on that case, from recovering the child, uh, getting the information, the surveillance video, all the stuff that we needed to prosecute, um, that was a really good feeling. That was a success story for us. Um, and there's been you know, a number of other cases where we've been able to, um, you know, had a case with an adult who had frequently would get on FaceTime and tell his victim where she needed to go and what she needed to do. Um, and, and this girl was be 14 at the time. 
Uh, and so being able to, it's just such a brazen case that getting, getting him off the streets and getting a successful prosecution on him was a really good feeling. So those are the ones that I look back to. Those are the ones that I see the notes from, you know, the parents, uh, you know, thanking everybody involved that kind of keep you going and, and make you be able to get your work done at the end of the day. That's incredible. I mean, it's just so hard to think about these kids being so vulnerable. I mean, it, it just, I don't know, as a parent, it really breaks my heart. But... And it does, I think that part of the, the approach to human trafficking that, at least the information that I like to get out there, is that it's vulnerability, right? And, and a lot of folks have an idea of human trafficking as kids getting like kidnapped off the streets and you know taken from their you know the cart and target or something like that when in reality the vulnerabilities that we see already in our population make it so that the traffickers don't have to work that hard to find a victim um so that that's one of the the big takeaways that i try and push because people are always on the lookout for you know whatever facebook told them people are doing of tying a string around a door handle to mark you know potential victims there's lots of people that are vulnerable out there they don't need to work that hard so um you know being able to to get those people off the street that are just trying to find the easy victims is very rewarding. Well, yeah, we've all got this image in our mind, right, from from a, from a Criminal Minds episode where somebody's getting thrown into the back of a white van without any yeah. without any windows in it, right? And it, it, it might actually it might actually be a, a neighbor, uh, it might be a family member, it might be this kid's uncle uh, that is doing this. And so sometimes that trafficker is right under our nose and. And, you know, it's not like they're walking around with a T-shirt that says, hey, I'm a sex trafficker. It's not like that. Exactly. Yeah, we don't, you know, as much as I'd like my life to be like Liam Neeson's, it's not, you know, running after somebody that's been thrown into the back of a van and taken over to Europe. And those cases do happen. I don't say that, I'm not saying that they don't, um, but they're just a small, small fraction. And if you want to keep an eye out for human trafficking, you keep an eye out for those vulnerability factors. Um going to get you to those cases uh, what kind agent what kind of uh, na- national nationwide efforts are, are being undertaken to address this issue because we know it's a big issue everywhere what kind of things are happening that are being done to try to stop this sort of thing so there's a number of national initiatives that we have um, at the FBI and through our collaboration with other agencies uh, one of the recent successes that we had was through operation cross-country which is uh, an effort that we have to work with our task force officers and also local law enforcement um, if we have significant leads that there's a missing child that might be vulnerable in a specific location. So um, we went out in in teams and tried to locate missing youth that had sex trafficking indicators. Um, And we were able to recover a number of children. And uh, not only that, but we were able to make stronger liaisons with Children's Division and other law enforcement agencies because that flow of information back and forth where they were able to give us ideas on where a child might be, and we were able to relay that out to the field, uh, and, and a lot of those resulted in successful recoveries. So um, that kind of collaboration is, is huge in this world, and those national initiatives to, to do that that are pushed out through FBI headquarters um, result in, in really great outcomes. Do you expect we're going to have more of that kind of thing in the future? Can we look, can we look for uh, you know Operation Cross Country 2.0 or... Do, do we think that's going to be happening going forward? Absolutely. I'm always on the lookout for new initiatives that we can start and uh, more operations that are going to result in, in more recoveries because uh, then we all benefit from those. So be on the lookout. 
So what would you what would you leave our people with as, as we as we finish this up? What 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 would your message be to our folks on the ground uh, to, to help you along and help these kids? What would you what would you have our folks know that we've not talked about already? Well, first of all, I just you know thank you to all of the the, the hardworking people out there that are doing this this job. Um, I know that torture uh, is very difficult, and that you know having such a significant caseload and dealing with everything that you all have to do um, is already uh, very intense. I would say, you know, anytime that you suspect trafficking, just report it to us, um, report it to the national hotline, send it up the chain, that we're here for you and that uh, we have resources available um, and that we will work with you, we'll we'll discuss the case with you and that uh, we are more than happy to take your call and figure out what we can do to make sure that these kids at the end of the day are safe and healthy. The National Human Trafficking Hotline is one eight 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 three seven three seven eight 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 by a national clearinghouse, and it goes to everybody that works human trafficking in the geographical area, and so that's uh, where we get a lot of our intake from. And then if the reporting part is their their name and phone number, then we can call them back and get further information. Agent Root, I can't uh, tell you how much I appreciate you being with us today and and taking the time and and sharing all this great information with us. Uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate the work you do. You need to know you've become, you've become something of a celebrity here in Children's Division circles uh, because of the, the work you all have done with the task force and with our agency. It's like, oh, Agent Root, you're gonna talk to Agent Root. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna I'm going to talk to Ozzie Smith or something. You know, uh, this, is, this is really cool. So uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you for being a good partner with us and, uh, and, and thank your colleagues there at, at, the, at the FBI and on the task force. Uh, for the good work you do to protect our our kids uh, and uh, everything you're doing for them. So thank you so much. Appreciate you being with us here today. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And again, I also appreciate all the stuff that Children's Division has done for us because it's a two-way street here. You know, we're able to these kids based on the good flow of information. So appreciate everything that you all do as well. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank, thank you, Agent. Appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to uh, our podcast about uh, about uh, child trafficking and all the issues that go with it. Thank you for uh, taking the time, and I hope that it, it uh, resonates with you, and I hope you take the information we uh, talked about today and use it uh, to the benefit of our kids and families. And if you have questions, you now got a hotline, and you know where to, you know where to call. So thank you all very much, and, uh, and take care. <laughs>